0: life,
1: love, and health.
0: I'm Christopher Springman, and you're at the crossroads of life, love, and health, where opportunity intersects with personal engagement and intervention, where we ask the question, which path will you choose? You know, I used to laugh at folks who had cute little handwritten signs on their computers. You know, (laughs) as if the inspired words would shed inspiration, kind of shake loose some magic that would fall across the keys. I don't laugh anymore. Because once I started posting clever phrases, catchy sayings, and assorted words of collective wisdom, I saw patterns developing like this one. If they won't give me a great part, I'll write one myself. Uh, The author? Playwright Chaz Palmenteri, who was an unemployed nightclub bouncer when he wrote a one-man show called A Bronx Tale, later a movie starring Robert De Niro as Mr. Palmentary's father. Mr. Palmentary played a supporting role. Well, that's cool. De Niro is bankable, sells more tickets, and has greater marquee value. A Bronx Tale is a story about a young man growing up on East 187th Street in New York, surrounded by a hard-working father, a neighborhood boss who takes a shine to him, and a supporting cast of wise guys. Here's a clip of Chaz's weekend edition interview with Scott Simon. Chaz Palminteri.
1: The play is much funnier than the movie because I was able to do take it a little farther as far as humor goes in the play. Where I really want young people to see is that Is the thing that my father instilled in me, and I think fathers could take their children, sons or daughters, to see this twelve and up about instilling them that the the saddest thing in life is wasted talent. My father used to tell me that all the time. He wrote it on a little index card and he put it in my room, and I never forgot it. And it's that card that I think that I carried with me all my life that made me finally, you know, make it as an adult, you know. I was working as an actor, and I ran out of money again. As all actors do, and I got then I took a job as a doorman, and I got fired after about four months because. Now, when I say, you say doorman, I've I've read that it was a, a bouncer. Yeah, well, I was a bouncer, uh, but in this one club, I was the doorman, and but this was in '86, and I was the bouncer doorman. Yeah, that's a glorified name for that, I guess. And I wouldn't let it, uh this man in to a party, and that man was Swifty Lazar. The, and it was his part big literary agent Big why, literary. why wouldn't you let him in I him didn't like know him? it was him I didn't recognize him yeah. I just said wait a minute and he kept I'll get you fired and I go yeah I, I hear that every day I go please get online and 15 minutes later I was fired I, I just said what the hell am I going to do and I was going to come back to New York and then I said I saw my father's card on, uh, pinned in, in my mirror in my room my apartment in LA and I said you know what if they won't give me a great part I said, I'll write one myself. And I, went, I got jumped in my car and I went to Thrifty Drugstore on Ventura Boulevard and I got uh, five tabs of legal-sized yellow paper. Mm-hmm. I came back and I said, well, I'll write a one-man show. This way they got to notice me. And I started writing and I wrote about the killing. And I would perform it at my theater workshop on Monday nights. And each week I would write more and more and more then perform it each Monday night. And at the end of like 10, 11 months, I had an hour and a half of my one-man show. Young actors must come to you knowing your story. Yeah, all the time. Or, or maybe, let me put it this way, young people who want to be actors... Yeah. ...want to be in the theater. What do you tell them? I always tell them, I go, look, don't think I, this thing just happened like a fluke here. <laughs> you know, I, I spent almost a year writing this and rehearsing it. I said, this was hard work, hard work. That if you really want to make it, you've got to turn up the volume in your life. You want a break? you got to go make your break. When you knock on the right door at the right time, no. It's the one who knocks on all the doors all the time. That's the one who makes it. You know, that's what I say.
0: What did we learn from Chaz and his dad? Stuff that's worth hanging about your computer. Three things. First, the saddest thing in life is wasted talent. Secondly, if they won't give me a great part, I'll write one myself. And finally, it's the one who knocks on all the doors, all the time. That's the one who makes it. I'm Christopher Springman. You, you're at the crossroads of life love and health. Speaking of knocking on lots of doors, I like medical doctors. In fact, I've interviewed hundreds of them. And when a physician says to me, you got to live your life like you're going to live forever or die trying. Now that's the kind of philosophy I identify with. And you should too. Hang that one above your computer or exercise bicycle. In fact, put it on your fridge. I'm going to live forever or die trying. Yeah. Okay, now, based on what you've just heard, do you believe that perception is reality? Well, our next guest, one of my favorite people, sure does. She's Harvard professor Ellen Langer, who attributes an improvement in health to a change in mindset. Perception is reality. How you interpret the event is the reality of the event itself. Kind of like Chaz and his view of the world. Here, check out our interview with dr ellen langer
2: when you're actively noticing new things that has the result of putting you in the present making you sensitive to context and perspective it's the feeling of engagement we make people more mindful all sorts of wonderful things happen they live longer they're happier their relationships are better they're more effective at work and so on People are oblivious to how often they're mindless, that they're not there. But much of the time we're spent on what colloquially we could say is on automatic pilot. Um, we, we move through this world thinking that we know, and certainties tend to lead us uh, to accept things, and then we behave the same way, regardless of how circumstances change. So the point is, at time one, we learn something. If we learn it mindlessly, we continue doing it, holding it still in our minds over time, even though circumstances are changing.
0: So uh, one of the things that you've studied is the... uh Situation of the I believe it was eighty four hotel maids we wanted to know what made you decide to study the hotel maids, what was it that triggered your interest
1: in them and their behavior
2: Well, it began not with an interest in chambermaids but rather um, for all these many years i 've been studying the effect of um, our minds, our mindsets over our psychological and physical health. Now, then, what we did was to take half of them and um, explain to them that their work was exercise. In fact, they were getting more than the recommended dose, so to speak, um, uh, recommended by the Surgeon General. And we showed them that making beds, for instance, was like this or that machine at the gym, and so on. So at the end of this, we were sure that they accepted that they had changed their attitude, if you want to speak in those terms, uh, that they changed their mindsets. They now had a view that work was exercise exercise. The, um, we then left them to continue doing their work for the next month, and when we returned, we asked them uh, how they saw their work, and still they saw their work as exercise. Um, We asked them if they increased their exercise over the course of the month, they said no. We asked them if they changed their eating habits over the month, they said no. We asked them as many questions as we could think of and did as many checks as we could to see if there were any changes other than uh, this change in mindset from work is work versus work is exercise. Then what we did was take our health measures and Uh, to our, uh, great satisfaction, what we found was that they lost weight. There was a significant, statistically significant difference in their body mass index, their waist to hip ratio, and, uh, their blood pressure dropped. And, um, which we are attributing to this change in mindset. And this, of course, did not happen for the control group.
0: Langer attributes the maid's improvement in health to a change in the way they viewed and valued their work by associating their labor with exercise. How you interpret what you do or what occurs to you is the takeaway value of the event itself. Just like Chaz, who said, you know, if they won't give me a great part, I'll write one myself. That is the official end of victimhood, and the beginning of true personal engagement by separating yourself from the idea that your destiny is controlled by others versus taking control of your life. That's incredibly liberating. The reality is I can create what I need by changing my vision, taking responsibility, and making it happen. Chaz and the housekeepers did that. Chaz, And the housekeepers did that by looking at their work through a different lens and ultimately producing better, more pleasing results. The bottom line in all cases, same work, but redefined with better outcomes. I'm Christopher Springman, and you, you're at the crossroads of life, love, and health, where opportunity intersects with personal engagement and intervention, where we ask the question... Which path will you choose? Well, which one? Life.
1: Love. And health.